over the course of uh, this week, Jill and I have been offering instructions and reflections and guidance based on this uh, core teaching in of meditation in this uh, Pali canon, what's called the Pali canon, in the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, and uh, examining the way that the Buddha suggested we look at our entire experience, everything that occurs in the mind and the body in the world around us, this exploration of the fullness of nature through these four frames of reference or these four establishments of mindfulness, you could say, these four ways to look at things in terms of materiality, the body, the different postures and the elemental nature there, the way the body is an aspect of of material form that we find in nature, the feeling tone of either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither of these that is an aspect of contact at any of the sense doorways, any of the senses, this feeling that arises there and how how that conditions the mind, that relationship of that feeling tone and and the mind <clears throat> to know the qualities of the mind, the mind impacted by various kinds of energies of wanting and when it's free from wanting, of aversion when it's free from that, the mind that is concentrated, not concentrated, constricted or open and so forth, this general, uh, you could say, flavor or tenor of the mind as uh, as it is influenced by the presence or absence of certain kinds of qualities. And then this uh, way of looking at experience sort of through the lens of the teachings and understanding the way things like the hindrances or the factors that uh, tend to awaken and enliven the mind or bring tranquility, the way that we might see experience in terms of uh, what leads to suffering, what leads away from suffering and so forth in the fourth foundation, or fourth establishment of mindfulness. <clears throat> and in this teaching at the end of each section, each of these uh, sections, there's a refrain uh, repeated verse that uh, tells us, basically gives instructions on how to pay attention in these different arenas. And so the words are basically the same, it just is applied to body, to feelings, to mind, and to patterns of uh, experience or to what we call dhammas applied to the teachings in relation to experience. And so this uh, something the Buddha felt was quite important for us and it points to some very useful considerations in terms of, you know, it can seem like there's so much to do, all these different ways to look at the body and notice feelings and understand the mind, 
how the mind is <coughs> flavored by different mental energies. But in the refrain, it's, it's kind of simplified in a certain way. Buddha <coughs> recommends that we pay attention to each of these areas of experience, or you could say to the totality of experience viewed in these different ways, both internally, so we notice the body, for example, the internal, our internal experience of that, of this flow of sensations there, this movement of what we can think of as the elements, our direct experience of body below the level of concept. So we know hardness and pressure and warmth and coolness and vibration and movement. We notice this internally and he says also externally. So we see how these same qualities manifest in the world. And hardness internally, hardness externally is hardness. Coolness internally, coolness externally. So this opens this uh, exploration of the fact that material form is the same, it's nature. Pressure, tension, vibration, these things apply to our own inner experience of the body, of material form as a body and in the world around us. See, it's just the same. It's not personal, it's not my hardness, my heat. Hard to lay claim to that as being somehow mine. He then recommends either internally, externally, or both internally and externally. So we see it in these ways. He then suggests that we pay attention to experience in terms of its nature to arise. We see the arising of sensations, arising of feelings. Each of these arenas of the nature to arise, of the nature to pass away, and the nature to both arise and pass away. So we contemplate it or we bring direct attention to our experience in terms of its impermanent and changing nature. It comes, it goes. Sensations arise, they pass away. New ones arise, pass away. So we look at this very elemental, essential nature, this universal characteristic of all things. Feelings, sensations, different mind states, moods, different qualities of mind, different aspects of all experience is of the nature to arise, of the nature to pass away, and of the nature to arise and pass away. So after suggesting these these two ways of paying attention, the Buddha goes on to um, get things, take things to a very level of bare simplicity. And he says, mindfulness or else mindfulness that there is a body 
is established to the extent necessary for bare knowing and continuous mindfulness. The same thing, mindfulness that there are feelings, mindfulness that there is mind, mindfulness that there are dhammas, there are these uh, ways that we can see experience, these different lenses to look through, you could say. We just know that that is there. You can even say the words, there is a body. In this refrain, the way some people, when it seems to be translated often, those words are are in brackets. Uh, they're, they're presented almost as though one were speaking these words. And we can simplify our practice down to this simple framing of knowing there is a body, knowing there are these feelings, knowing there is mind. And the Buddha ends this section by saying, one abides independently, not clinging to anything in the world. So this sense of an independent way of abiding, not appropriating any of it as mine, as I, as me, seeing it's just nature unfolding. So we might see this as a kind of result of, of practice, this sense of an independent abiding. We can also take this as another instruction. What would it mean to abide independently, not clinging to anything in the world, not latching on to it, not appropriating it, not having to pick it up. It doesn't mean somehow turning away from the world or disengaging or disconnecting or shutting down. That's not what that points to at all. Nothing even remotely like that. But this possibility ability to be fully alive, connected, responsive, connected with life. But to have a certain independence, a freedom within that through non-clinging. And someone once asked the Buddha, if he could summarize his, his teachings in, in one phrase. And there are volumes of teachings. He taught for at least 40, some 40 some years and delivered many, many discourses. Do you know how many, Jill? A lot. Volumes of them. Short ones, long ones. Ones in verse form, ones in long discussions with others. And, and he said, yeah, I can do that. And he said, nothing 
whatever is to be clung to. It's kind of awkward English. Don't cling to anything. You could even change it, let go of everything or just let everything be. And then he said, if you'd heard that, nothing to be clung to, you'd heard the entirety of the teachings. If you'd put it into practice, you had practiced all of the teachings. And if you had realized the fruits of practicing that, you had realized all possible fruits of the practice. So in a way, everything he said, anything either of us might ever say is in service of this understanding. Don't hold on. Don't cling to anything. That's the the way to this independent abiding, to the deepest kind of understanding, to the deepest peace. He didn't say, shut down, turn away, go hide in a cave. And he didn't live that way. He was totally engaged in the world. He had students all over the place. He wandered teaching for 40 years. He was a friend of kings and rulers and consulted with them. He had a very engaged and active life. He went on alms round every day because in that tradition, still followed today, you don't, you're dependent every day on the generosity of others to put some food in a bowl. You don't own anything but one set of robes and a bowl. You can't keep food past the midday hour. So totally connected into the world around, offering the purity of conduct and the teachings receiving sustenance in this simple, direct way, food in the bowl. And yet there is this sense of an independence, you could say, an ability to be connected and intimate in the world and yet not uh, caught up in struggle and reactivity with the way things really are. A freedom that allows our intelligence, our inner wisdom, to flower and shine forth. So we might look at these approaches to practice, to bring our attention to our experience internally, externally, inwardly, the way things arise in body and feelings in mind, in patterns of experience externally in the world around us. Notice the tendency of things, this essential nature of things to arise, to pass away, contemplating the impermanent nature of experience, 
whether pleasant, unpleasant, whether we like it or don't like it. Knowing very simply that there is a body, there are feelings, there is mind, there are mental functions. And letting it all be, not having to appropriate any of it, not having to pick it up. Just let it do its thing, which it's going to do anyway. So we don't have to cling to anything. We don't have to take it on as personal, as I, as me, as mine. We give it back to nature, you could say. Trusting this ability to be aware, resting more in the awareness of experience and letting the flow of life just flow. Present, intimate, and at peace, this independent abiding. So I offer this for your reflection this morning. <clears throat> 